Good to uh, be here this morning together. My name is Mark Rushworth. It's a privilege to be here this morning um, preaching from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We are one year in to the letter to the Ephesians, and we are at the end of chapter two. That means we're on schedule to finish by fall 2024. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> so <laughs> throughout this letter, there are recurring themes that we keep coming up against time and time again um, that Paul wanted his readers to get, or his listeners, to get hold of, and which I believe God wants us to get hold of as well. Some of those themes are God's grace, um, being in Christ, being built together as God's people, God's glorious church. These are themes that come up time and time again because they're so important for us to grasp, to allow God to shape our thinking, and then for allow God to change our lives as, our, as we're renewed, uh, our, our, our lives are renewed by the renewing of our mind, are changed by the renewing of our, of our mind. So I keep going back to Paul's prayer, which he prays at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, and I keep praying it for us, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. It's that power that we want to look at this morning. I just want to focus in on one verse, the end of chapter 2, uh, verse 22, Ephesians 2, verse 22. Um, but we'll read just from verse 19, just to get a little bit of context, just those three verses today. Uh, which Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, too, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We looked at most of this passage last time I was preaching and we saw what it means to be built on apostolic and prophetic foundations with Jesus as the cornerstone. And Paul here is describing the church in terms of a building, not the building where the church gathers, uh, but the people who are gathered together uh, are described as the building. I guess that is a little confusing because we keep saying, look, the church isn't the building. Um, next time someone says to you, the church isn't the building, you know, you can say, yes, it is. And you can take them to Ephesians 2 and say, look, Paul says it's the building. <laughs> it's actually saying we are a building. We are a building being joined together. We are the bricks of that building. In fact, he goes more specific. He gets more specific and he says, actually, we are a holy temple. We are like the bricks together of the holy temple, being joined together, being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see how much Paul is emphasizing the togetherness aspect of what he's doing. He's joining us together. He's building us together. And as God does that, he makes us holy. Paul here isn't stressing our personal walk with God. In Paul's mind, our growth in Christ, becoming more holy, is a corporate thing. It happens when we're together. As we interact with each other, as we work out our relationships together, that's when we're shaped 
and molded by God into becoming more holy. I don't know about you, um, but when I'm on my own, I pretty much think I'm doing okay. It's when I have to work out things in the church, it's when I have to work out relationships with people, then I see how much God still has to do in me. Um, <laughs> but on the whole, I kind of think, I'm okay on my own, pretty holy. <laughs> You know, let's give ourselves, let's keep giving ourselves to each other and to meeting together in whatever context it might be. It might be a Sunday morning, it might be a life group, the groups that we have midweek. If you're not part of a life group, feel free to, we would love you to join one. Um, it might be a team that you're serving in, it might be the youth team, Fuel, it might be kids club team, it could be the welcome team, it could be anything else. But as we're together, that's when God is at work. It's not just about doing a task. Actually, God's at work in us making us more holy. We're being joined together. We're being built together and rising to become a holy temple in which God lives by his spirit. That's what he says in this verse, verse 22. A holy temple in which God lives by his spirit. And for Paul's listeners, if they were, if they were Jewish, certainly, they would have immediately thought about the temple in Jerusalem, probably Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, the first temple, which was a magnificent building. And it was the dwelling place of God. We've got a picture of what the temple probably looked like. Um, and, uh, you know, it was huge. I don't know if you can even see on that picture the size of it. There's people, kind of little dots there around the side. Those are the people going into the temple. It was a magnificent, huge temple. Where, which was built for God to dwell by his Holy Spirit. And last time I preached, we looked at Ezekiel chapter 47. And there's a whole vision there that Ezekiel has of the temple uh, and then rivers flowing from the temple. And it's the rivers of the Holy Spirit. It's the water of the Holy Spirit flowing out and going into all the different desert places and life springing up from those places of desolation and desertion. And that's what Ezekiel sees in verse 47. And it's the Spirit of God flowing out of the temple. When Paul mentions the temple, they would have also thought back to when Solomon dedicated the temple after it had just been built. Solomon uh, got this temple built. Um, and uh, we read about that dedication in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and chapter 6 we can, uh, and 7. Uh, we can also read about it in 1 Kings chapter 8. We don't have time to read the whole passage. But basically, what happens in those passages is the Ark of the Covenant is brought to the temple. The Ark of the Covenant is where, uh, among other things, the, the, the stone tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on, they were inside this, this box. Um, and this was where the presence of God was dwelling. And as the Israelites were moving about from place to place, um, they carried the, the Ark of the Covenant with them, the, the presence of God. At different times, it got uh, stolen from them. The Philistines took it, and, uh, but actually they ended up getting defeated because they had the presence of God in their midst, and in the end, they didn't want it, and they were like, no, take it back. Um, you know, all sorts of things happened with the Ark of the Covenant, but when the temple was built, the Ark of the Covenant was brought 
into the temple and it was taken into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum. You can see that the tall building there and there's a curtain if you can see uh, as it go in. That's where the Holy of Holies was in that part. And that was the part that only the high priests could go in once the, once the Ark of the Covenant was there because that was where the presence of God that resided and and you know, people couldn't even go into God's presence and live because it was so holy. The Ark of the Covenants taken into uh, the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies. And, um, and, and First Chronicles says, 120 priests began to sound their trumpets and they began to join with the Levites who were kind of the worship team of the day. And uh, they began to play their cymbals and their harps and their lyres. Um, by the way, if we're currently short of harp and lyre players, if there are any out there who want to join the band, I've got lots of space today, so, you know, come on up, <laughs> play your lyres. And uh, anyway, they began to sing praise to the Lord. They began to sing praise to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. And as they're worshiping God and as they as the Ark of the Covenant is taken in to the inner sanctum of the temple, the glory of God descends on the temple. A cloud of the glory of, God, of the Lord fills the whole temple. And it says no one could carry on with what they were doing. You know, the worship team, they couldn't carry on worshiping. It was just like they were overcome uh, by the presence of God. The priests couldn't carry on with what they were doing. And uh, because the glory of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, has come and filled the whole temple. And Solomon prays, and he says, the Lord has said he would dwell in a dark cloud. And he says, I've built a magnificent temple for you, Lord, a place for you to dwell forever. Solomon prays a prayer of dedication. And when he finishes, fire comes down from heaven and it consumes the offering. Again, you can see the smoke coming up from where the offering would be. Usually it's lit and burned, but fire came from heaven, consumed the offering, and the glory of the Lord again fills the temple, it says. The priests couldn't enter. The Israelites all knelt on the pavement outside. It says their faces to the ground and they worshipped God. This was God's Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in the temple. It was amazing. It's clearly the dwelling place of God, the holy temple. But it wasn't going to be that way forever. It wasn't going to be that way forever because the temple wouldn't last forever. Jesus predicted it. And when he and his disciples traveled up to Jerusalem, they saw the temple. His disciples were amazed by it. I mean, you would be, wouldn't you? His disciples were amazed. They were looking around. Jesus, just look at these huge stones. Just look at these magnificent stones. And Jesus said, you know what? It's just going to go. It's going to be destroyed. It's not, gonna, it's not going to last. They would have been shocked. They would have been shocked. It wouldn't even have been that temple at that point, but they were still thinking this temple is an amazing temple. Because after Jesus' death and resurrection, it was the church that was going to be joined together and rise to become a holy temple, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So what are the magnificent stones now? We are the magnificent stones. We are those stones that have been built together 
knit together to rise up to become a holy temple. What's Paul saying here? He's saying this is where the presence of God resides. It's in the church. We don't have to go to a temple anymore. We don't have to go to a magnificent building. We don't have to go to a cathedral. We can be a temple of the Lord. We are the temple of the Lord as the church gathers together. It's here. It's in us. In Revelation 21, right at the end of the Bible, almost the last words in the Bible, describes John's vision of a new heaven and a new earth. And in verse 3 of chapter 21, it says, A voice comes from the throne and says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Ordinary people couldn't go anywhere near the presence of God in that temple. They weren't allowed in, but we now are God's people. God's dwelling place is here among us in the church. God is with us. He is our God. This is powerful stuff. This is powerful stuff. We have to realize just how it would have been inconceivable. It would have been impossible for people to go near God's presence. Exodus chapter 19 talks about God's presence on the holy mountain. This is before there even was a temple, but this is before there even was the Ark of the Covenant. The, the, you know, God's temple resided on the holy mountain, and they had to put barriers up so people didn't touch it, because if people touched the mountain, they would die. Um, because of the sinfulness of, their, of, of their, na- their sinful nature, they couldn't come into contact with God's holiness. And uh, like I said, in the Ark of the Covenant, if people it had to be carried on poles, had to be carried on long poles so that no one touched it. At one point, they got sloppy about it. They just put it on a cart and had it going, and, it, and, the, and the, the oxen stumbled, and a man who was by the side of it called Uzzah, he was like, oh no, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, is going to fall into the dirt, and he put his hand out to stop it falling, and God struck him down dead. And you might think, what the heck? He's just, he's just trying to stop it falling. No, he couldn't come into contact with a holy God. But after Jesus died on the cross, after Jesus died on the cross and was raised to life again, we were able to be cleansed from our sin. No longer are we too sinful to come into the presence of God because we've been cleansed. We've been washed clean. Our sinfulness was given to Jesus on the cross. And he gave us his perfection, his righteousness. So now we can come. And and we can kind of just think, oh yeah, we can come into God's presence. No, this is a huge thing. We can come into God's presence. People would not have been able to do with that. We can have God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We might look back and think, wouldn't it have been amazing to be at the temple when God's glory fell? Well, it would. But there's a present experience of that, and it's in the church. It should be in the church. That's where we find it. We need to realize it, have the eyes of our heart enlightened so we see it. We need God's Holy Spirit in all that we do. He's not an optional extra. We must keep on being filled with the Spirit. Every activity of the church needs the Holy Spirit to come in power because we can't survive without drinking in the Spirit of God. We have to be baptized in the Spirit. We have to continually seek 
the filling of the Spirit. And it's important to realize that it doesn't happen automatically when we believe. It doesn't happen automatically when we believe. We have to come and ask God to fill us with his spirit. And there's a number of places in the Bible where we see that. Jesus encourages us to do that when he's talking about the spirit. He says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit at that point. He said, you've got to ask, seek, knock, then you'll receive. And when it comes to God filling us with his Holy Spirit, we might, we might be a little reluctant to ask. We might think, well, it's a bit presumptuous. We've got to understand God wants us to ask. God wants us to ask. Maybe we're going to be a bit nervous of what happens, what will happen when we do ask. I'm not so sure about this. You know, I feel a bit vulnerable asking and opening myself up. God, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? It might be a bit weird. Jesus knew that. He went on to reassure his disciples. He went on to reassure us. He went on straight after this, after what he said. He said, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, he's going to give him a snake instead or if your son asks you for an egg, which of you is going to give him a scorpion? If you, even though you're evil, <laughs> he throws that one in, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To those who ask him. We have to come and ask God to fill us with his Spirit. We have to ask for the first time. We have to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep coming and saying, Jesus, Spirit of God, come and fill me again. And then when we are filled with the Spirit, God gives us spiritual gifts. He distributes spiritual gifts in order that we might build each other up, that we can use them to encourage each other. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 20, 14, verse 26, when you come together, each of you, each one of you, has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue, or an interpretation. Each one of you has got different things, different gifts. And he says, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. How is the church going to grow? How is the church going to be built up? Paul says, it's by using the gifts that God's given us. When we're together, when you gather together, we've all got different gifts. That's how the church is going to be built up. Someone brings a, a, an instruction. Someone brings a tongue. Someone brings the interpretation of that tongue. Someone brings a prophetic word. Someone sings out in the spirit. Someone brings an encouragement as to what God has done in their life. Someone says, hey, I've seen this vision. and All different things are happening. Now, Paul, uh, the Corinthian church needed some order in this, and Paul went on to address it. But before he even got into that, he says, look, God gives everyone gifts. And they're all different and they all needed, and the church needs to be built up through them. So whenever we gather here on a Sunday morning, or whether we gather in our life groups, or whether we gather at Fuel, or whether we gather at Kids Club, or wherever we gather together as the church, we should be expecting to see the gifts of the Spirit at work. Not only expecting to see them, but actually expecting God to use you, to use me in building up the church and encouraging the church. And how do we get these gifts? We ask God for them. Paul says, eagerly 
desire them. Eagerly desire them. Now, if you've got kids, you'll know what it's like for a child to eagerly desire a gift. You know, oh, please, please, can I have the latest PlayStation for Christmas? Please, please. You know, I really want it. Please, can I have it? That's eagerly desiring. That's coming and saying, God, I really want this. I'd love to prophesy, God. I'd love to prophesy. Please give me the gift of prophecy so that I can encourage people. You know, I, I, I hear tongues being brought, this heavenly language that is brought in meetings sometimes, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Kind of, I just wish I knew what it meant I, and uh, you know, what, it, what, what they were saying. Please give me the gift of interpretation, Lord, so that I may get a sense and understanding of what's being prayed, and then I can come and I can share that with others, and then they can understand it as well. Please give me that gift, Lord. That's what Paul's looking for the church to do. To be proactive and say, I'd love to do that. Oh God, I'd love, I'd love to have the gift of healing. I'd love to be able to go to someone who is sick, whether they're in the church or out of the church, but I'd love to be able to go to them and say, do you know what? I'm believing that God's going to heal you today and I'd love to be able to lay hands on them and see them healed. Oh Jesus, I'd love that gift. Ask. Ask God for these gifts. Eagerly desire them. Our Heavenly Father longs to give them to us. He's such a generous father. He's so generous. Not so that we just have a gift for ourselves, but so that we can use it to build up the church, to strengthen the church. Do you know one big reason why I believe that many, pe many of us don't do this? Why we don't come to God and say, give me this spiritual gift? I think it's because we sometimes think that Paul is talking about using gifts that we're born with I, I, or talents. You know, people say, well, I'm talented in this area. I'm a talented guitar player, so I'm going to use my gift to serve the church. Well, that's great. The church needs guitar players, but that's not, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about gifts or talents that we're born with. He's talking about supernatural gifts. He's talking about God-imparted gifts when we become a Christian when we're filled with the Spirit. Gifts that God gives us after that, not just things that are talents or skills that we might have. Of course, we might use our natural abilities in the same way that anyone else in society might use their natural abilities in an area that they're skilled in. But, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Now, some of the gifts like prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpreting, miracles, healing, maybe they're more obviously supernatural. I think, oh, okay, I, I, I know I've, I've not, I'm not talented in that to start off with. But teaching, helping, guidance, serving, encouraging, leading, giving, they're all described by Paul as supernatural gifts, spiritual gifts. And they're gifts that we are encouraged to eagerly desire. You know, oh, God, I'd love to... I'd love to really be able to encourage people and, and, and you know, I, 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 I do it, but, you know, I'm a bit of an introvert and I feel, no, God, I want the spiritual gift of encouragement. I'd love the spiritual gift of encouragement so I know just what to say at the right time. So I know and I, I just sense, oh, this is, the, this is the truth that this person needs to hear. This is the encouragement they need. This is the scripture that they need. Spiritual gift of encouragement. Spiritual gift of giving. These are things that we are encouraged to ask God for. Not just say, oh, I've got some talents, that's okay. 
Paul is encouraging us, ask God. Do we do that? Do we? Have a think. Do you do that? Have you specifically asked God for the gifts of the Spirit recently? Have you thought about which ones you'd like? Do you eagerly desire them? Have you asked? Have you asked? And then when we gather together as a church, we, we, we come and we're ready to use the gifts of the Spirit God's given us. Later on in this chapter, uh, in, chapter f- in this book, chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. Leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our meetings together, our gatherings together, should be times when we're filled with the Spirit and we speak to each other and sing to each other. Interesting, it's not just to God. We do worship God, of course. We do sing to God, but we encourage each other. We sing to each other. We speak to each other. That might be after the meeting. Now, it might be a, feel a bit weird if you suddenly start singing to someone after the meeting <laughs> over coffee. Maybe that's a time to speak to each other. But we can still sing to it. Some of our songs are songs where we sing to each other. Um, we're probably going to do one, because at, at, I was listening to the band practice beforehand. Probably after I've spoken, we're going to sing a song um, which starts off, um, come all you people, come uh, find his mercy, come to the well that never runs dry. We're not singing that to God, are we? We're singing that to each other. We're encouraging each other. Come on, let's come, let's receive from God. That's what we're doing, encourage each other. That's what happens in our meetings. Our meetings should be times when we're filled with the Spirit. There's joy. There's a release of inhibitions. When people get drunk on alcohol, they become less inhibited. When people are filled with the Spirit, they can become less inhibited too. They might do things that they might find embarrassing at other times. Often, often people who are filled with the Spirit can be loud, and they can shout, and they can dance. When we're filled with the Spirit, we should expect to be less self-conscious, less inhibited, less worried about what others around us will think. So it's okay, we can sing loudly, we can shout loudly, we can dance with joy. Because that's what happens when the Spirit of God comes. The Spirit of God comes and fills us and, and we express it. And of course, we're all different personalities and we're going to express it in different ways. But we can express it with joy. So we need to make sure that we sing plenty of joyful songs when we come together. Those of us who lead worship always have to bear that in mind because there are some really good reflective songs, uh, even songs of lament. But as we gather together as God's people, there should be times of uh, joy in the Holy Spirit. And w- we saw that somewhat this morning as well. It's been, it's been good this morning to really be able to worship God and sing joyful songs. And like I said, I'm not just talking about being an extrovert. Everyone's different, but there's joy there. There's joy there. Some people get a little nervous. They say, oh, it's, it's a bit emotionalism. It's not emotionalism. It might be emotion. Emotion's not the same as emotionalism. Emotionalism is trying to make something happen. It's trying to do all, you know, with all the lighting and, the, and, and smoke and the sounds and the music. And we, and we, and we think, oh, this is going to stir up people's emotions. No, we're not asking, we're not doing things to stir up people's emotions. But God's Holy Spirit can come and stir up our emotions. That's okay. It's not us doing it. We're not making it happen. It's the Spirit of God doing it. There's a difference. And when the church is full of people who've been filled with the Holy Spirit, it's pretty obvious. 
It's pretty obvious. But when the church is full of people who haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, it's pretty obvious too. In Acts chapter 19, we read about when Paul went to Ephesus, and after he'd been there a short while, he said uh, to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they replied, and they said, we've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. I wonder why Paul asked that question. Why did Paul ask that question? Presumably, because as he was with them, he was looking at them, and he was seeing what wasn't there. He was seeing what wasn't there. There was no joy. There was no power. There was no use of gifts. There was no building each other up. There was no intimacy with God as Father. It was just a purely human activity. Kind of boring, lifeless, dull, religious. No life in the Spirit. I've actually been to church meetings like that. Have you? I don't want to go to them again. I don't want to be in a church like that. I want to be in a church that's full of the Holy Spirit. Just as Paul looked at those Ephesians and the church and said, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? That could be a question that I could ask of people here today. I'm not saying the whole church isn't filled with the Spirit. Don't hear me wrong. But people can come from all sorts of different backgrounds. You might have traveled to the city recently. Maybe you're starting university here and you're going to another church. Maybe you've been part of other gatherings before. And you're thinking, wow, there's something here. There's some, this is a, this, there's some life here. I would say, have you been filled with the Spirit when you believed? It's not a criticism. No one's looking at you as, as though you're a second-class Christian. But it's like it's an invitation. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, have you been filled with the Spirit? Because he went on and said, okay, well, we, let's, let's deal with that. Let's get filled with the Spirit now. Let's understand who Jesus is. Let's understand what Jesus did for us. Let's receive Christ. And let's receive his spirit as well. Is there signs of life in yourself? Is there joy in you? Are you using gifts? Is there uninhibited worship? Or maybe you're just a little bored in worship. Maybe you're mumbling the words. Maybe you just don't feel anything. You can be filled with the spirit today. We've just sung, I'm not enough unless you come. Come Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken just sung it. The Lord is in this place. Well, God is. He's here. He's here. And those words are true. I'm not enough unless you come, God. I can't do this on my own. Like, I get worn down pretty quick. doesn't even take the whole week before, you know, if I'm not in the presence of God and God's people and any of that, I'd be like, whew, I'm done. I'm not enough. Will you meet me here again? Will you meet me here again? In a few minutes' time, we can we're going to pray. We're going to pray, God, come meet us here again. Meet us here, because we're not enough without you. More and more, we want to see a flow of supernatural life when we gather together. Because meetings without the life of the Spirit are boring and lifeless. I wouldn't blame you for not coming to them. <laughs> the Bible says, no, it's when we gather together when we gather together. Actually, if we don't gather together, we miss out. We miss out. If you don't come, we miss out on the gift that you have. You know, if you're just like, oh, I just I had a late night. I'm not going to come. Oh, there's this other thing on. Oh, it's we miss you. We miss you because we miss what you bring, the specific gifts that you have. 
This is what we're going for, church. This is who we want to be. This is who we want to be. But a word of caution. We have to realize that if we don't keep on actively pressing on to be a spirit-filled church, it's very easy to slip back into formalism and tradition. We have to keep actively pressing. We can look at how the church began, but history tells us many churches didn't keep moving in the power of the Spirit. A church like the Salvation Army began with speaking in tongues, singing in the Spirit, words of knowledge, prophecy, healing. Now, I'm not discounting the good that the Salvation Army do these days, but that's not where the Salvation Army are at these days. That's not the sort of church that they are. Without the Spirit, something that begins in power ends up becoming an institution. What about us? Are we in danger of that? Are we in danger of that? Are we, we're part of a family of churches that was birthed in a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. But are we losing that emphasis? There's a danger. There's a danger of that happening. There's a few things that might inhibit us pursuing the Spirit. There's a few things that might inhibit us. Firstly, we might lose, we might lose the freedom of the Spirit because of a desire for excellence. Those who have been around this church for a number of years, maybe even since it began, will know how it was at the start. I wasn't here. I know how it was in our church in the UK when we started out, and I was part of that from the early 90s. And the worship songs that we sang were pretty, were pretty basic. They weren't very technical. Those playing in the worship band weren't always very skilled. There were lots of wrong notes. Uh, people would often start songs from the congregation, but I tell you what, there was real joy and life in those meetings. The Spirit of God was at work. People clapped, they sang loudly, they shouted, they danced, they played tambourines. I'm not sure we want that back. Um, <laughs> no, we do, we do, we do, we want it all. You know what reminds me most of those times here, when I'm here? The, the thing that reminds me most is when Ben McGuigan leads worship. It is. It's when Ben McGuigan leads worship. Do you know what? We've just, we've just received from another church this keyboard. It's like, and we're so grateful for it, by the way, um, from Majorville Church. And uh, it does everything. I mean, Taylor's really excited about it. Um, <laughs> if I told, if I said to Ben, oh, Ben, we've got this great new keyboard, he'd be like, I don't care. He goes into the, it goes into the warehouse. He gets out the oldest keyboard that we've got. He brings it out, <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck are you doing, Ben? <laughs> it doesn't even play the notes in tune. And uh, he doesn't care. And he, he starts to play, and he hits wrong notes, and the Spirit of God comes every time, every time. Like at uh, our prayer times, he'll, he'll, bring, he'll bring it out, and it'll be like, whoo, the Lord's in this place. You know... We've got to be careful we don't lose all of that joy and spontaneity. We've got to make sure as worship teams we don't just practice, and I don't think we do, <laughs> we don't just practice the introductions and the endings to the songs and exactly where it's going to the point where we can't go where the Spirit might lead us. There are lots of technological innovations now for worship bands which can help us musically, but they might just help us to become more professional we might just say, oh, we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to get a musical director. We're going to have it all. Listen, 
we could lose the freedom of the spirit in the process. Now, of course, we want to be skilled if we're playing an instrument. So it is important to practice, but not so that we can look really slick, really polished, actually, so that we can adapt and transition to what God's spirit might be doing among us. I was once part of a very gifted um, worship and talented band. The great thing about it was they didn't use those gifts to show off and draw attention to themselves. They used them to be able to encourage the congregation in participating fully. So what would often happen, actually, is someone from out in the congregation would start up a song. If I was leading worship, now I wasn't that technically able, still aren't, <laughs> so they would start a song and I would be like, I need the music, I can't, you know. And, but, the, but some of the other band members were like, they started playing along. And I'd be like, mm, what, what key are they playing in? And they go, E flat. <laughs> okay. And I would, I would find my worship folder. Okay, I've got this one. It's not in E flat. I'd use my capo. Amazing invention. And we could, but anyway, we could start to play along. Now, I couldn't do it on my own. They were amazing. But what happened was, People would start songs from the congregation, and within half a, half a verse, the whole band's playing. And we're going with where the Spirit has led. That's why we need to practice, so we can get good at doing those sort of things, so that we can really follow what the Spirit of God is doing. Now, of course, the Spirit of God can lead the worship leader, and in, the pra in preparation as well. We believe all of that. But let's not get too professional. Secondly, we have to be careful of rationalism. Only embracing what is logical. Only embracing what can be proved. The Holy Spirit disturbs our rational mindset because he's not predictable. He heals supernaturally, but we can start to rationalize it. Even when we've been healed, oh, maybe, maybe it was in my mind. Maybe it was psychosomatic. Maybe it was just the adrenaline of the moment that makes me feel I'm better now. Um, maybe if it's someone else, maybe you know, we can doubt other people. Oh, maybe they weren't sick in the first place. You know, uh, And we can start to convince ourselves, well, God's probably not really healed them. We can start to rationalize things. Look, God is not just confined to our rationalism. We can look at the church, and we can maybe see areas we need strengthening in, and we can start to think, well, we can fix it. We can fix it by finding the correct techniques, by just getting the right program to run. We just need to promote the church in this way, and people will come. We just need to market it. We just need to run these programs, and it'll all be okay. No, those are all good things. We can get experts to come in and analyze and say, oh, this is what you need to do. You know, you need to... You need to give different gifts away for the welcome team, whatever it might be. But the truth is we need the Spirit of God to be flowing among us. That's what we need. The church isn't a machine that needs fixing. We don't just bolt on another program. We need the Spirit of God to be poured out and flowing from us. And finally, we have to be careful of laziness or passivity. This is a big one. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. And he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. Revelation 22 and 17. Actually, this is the last chapter in the Bible, not the 21. Um, Revelation 22 and verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty, Come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. God's Holy Spirit is here for us. He'll pour it out to us. And he says, come, 
Come and receive. Come and drink. Come if you're thirsty. And we can, be, we can just be lazy and apathetic. We can kind of go, oh, I don't know if I want to drink. I've gone so long, I don't even know if I'm thirsty anymore. You look, you, know, well you look pretty dry. Oh, I don't know. I think I'm okay. No, come. Come. We need to stir up our zeal for God. We need to stir it up. When we come together, what are we looking for? Are we looking for a meeting just to be vaguely interesting? Are we looking to learn something new? Or are we coming and needing a drink? Are we coming thirsty? Do we come thirsty at the end of the week knowing we need more? Not wanting to leave unless God fills us with his spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the spirit. We're responsible for coming. We're responsible to come. I can't make you thirsty. I can't make you come and receive. That's on you, every one of us. That's on us. We have to come. You know what? We can get used to living without water. We can get used to it. But the church can't survive. The church cannot survive without the living water of the Holy Spirit. And it's still here. And it's still on offer. And Jesus' invitation is still valid for us. Come and drink. Come and be filled. Come and find refreshment. We are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So if you're thirsty, come today. Come and drink. That's what we're going to do now. So I'm going to invite the worship band back up. I'm going to invite you all to stand if you're able to do that. And we're going to come to Jesus. We're going to come to Jesus. And there's not really any special technique for this. You know, we, it's, it's, it's our heart's inclination, really. We're coming to God with our hearts desiring more of him with our hearts desiring to be filled with the Spirit. But you know what? If you've never received the Spirit before, there's occasions in the, in the New Testament, and I haven't had time to really get into it, where for the very first time, sometimes it's called baptism in the Spirit, where people actually just put a hand on you and pray for you to be filled. And uh, I'm just going to ask, we're not going to ask people even to come out to the front or anything. It doesn't have to be public. But if you've never received the Spirit of God, I'm just going to invite you, as I pray, and I'm going to pray for the Spirit of God to come on everyone, but I'm going to just invite you just to raise your hand in a moment if you've never been filled. And I just want the person next to you, if possible, or someone behind you, just to put a hand on you as I pray. And, uh, and I'm going to come and invite the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to drum anything up. Because the Spirit of God's here. And he longs. When we seek, he'll, we'll find him. And when we knock, he'll open the door. So if you've never been filled with the Spirit of God before, if you just think, I just, you know, this is new to me, I just invite you, just, just raise your hand, just until someone puts their hand on a shoulder. Once they've done that, you can put your hand down. It's just a sign to, that you know, someone can come and put their hand on you. So you can do that now. And then for all of us, let's come. Let's come to God. I just invite you to respond however you feel is appropriate. You might want to raise your hands. You might want to kneel. You might, you might want to do whatever. 
Just come to God. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we are thirsty. We want to declare we are thirsty for you. We need you. We need you. Lord, we're not enough unless you come. So we pray, meet us here again. Meet us here again, Lord. I pray we will receive strengthening, encouragement, life, joy. Fill us with joy again, Lord, in the difficult times of our lives, in the weariness that we often find ourselves in. Lord, we want to find you and find joy in you. Spirit of God, come. Come fill us. And as I was speaking, there might be different ones of you who felt, actually, I'd love this gift. I'd love that gift. Ask, ask now. Spirit of God, just, just come. Give gifts to those who desire them eagerly. We want to receive what you want to give, Lord. Thank you, you're building us together into a holy temple where you live by your spirit. Thank you, God. I just pray, keep coming and filling us, even as we begin to worship again now. Pray, Spirit of God, fill us afresh this morning. Fill us afresh in Jesus.